You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming to you from Great American Ballpark, it's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hello, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to another installment of the Better Off Red podcast. For you regulars, thank you once again for joining me. I am super grateful that you guys keep coming back and I hope we're helping to scratch your baseball itch this offseason. For you new listeners, I very much appreciate you taking the time to find us here. If you're a Reds fan or a baseball fan in general, I think you'll get some satisfaction out of what we provide here with this podcast. Now, before we get to today's main course, please allow me to remind you folks that Reds Fest is coming up at the Duke Energy Convention Center in downtown Cincinnati. The two-day event kicks off at 3 p.m. on Friday, December 1st, and continues at 11 a.m. Saturday, December 2nd, and features many current and former Reds players who will be available to fans for autographs and photo opportunities. There's also a ton of other fun stuff to do at Reds Fest, including games, activities, fan interactives, live main stage programming, and so much more. In addition to all of that, I'll be there recording live episodes of the Better Off Red podcast in the Reds Connect Zone, so I'd love it if you stopped by and said hello. For more information on Reds Fest and to purchase your Reds Fest tickets, please check out reds.com slash redsfest. Now, for this very special episode of the Better Off Red podcast, we welcome back legendary Reds public relations man Jim Ferguson to talk about a very unique road trip the team took in the fall of 1978 that put a period on the club's Big Red Machine era. The Reds went to Japan in 78 and played the country's best players in a 13-city, 17-game series from October 25th through November 21st. It would mark the last time Sparky Anderson managed a Reds team and the last time Pete Rose would put on a Reds uniform before returning to the club as player manager in 1984. Jim was on that trip to Japan with the Reds, fulfilling his duties as the team's PR official and has a lot of fun memories and interesting stories to share with us. So, without further ado, here's Jim Ferguson and the time the Reds went to Japan in 1978. Enjoy the show. I'm happy to be once again joined by the the legendary PR man of the Cincinnati Reds, Jim Ferguson. Jim, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Jamie. How's everything down at the on the along the river? Uh, it's a little rainy today, and it's a, getting <laughs> getting a little colder. But uh, the calendar yes, has just turned over to November, so that's what we have to expect, I guess. I I think you're cor- absolutely correct. <laughs> Hey, speaking of November, um, about what, what is it now? Almost uh, 40 years ago. Almost 40 years. Yeah. 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 You, uh, you were on a trip, a very unique trip to Japan with the Cincinnati Reds. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes, that was, uh, that was uh, one of the, uh, outstanding experiences uh, of my time with the Reds. Uh, 
not not comparing it to World Series victories, of course. <laughs> that, that's another story. <laughs> right. But the Japan tour was just incredible, and there's 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 things about it that seem like it was yesterday, and 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 there's a lot of things that. Uh, have obviously dimmed over the last 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I when I approached you about this this podcast, I knew I wanted to talk to you because you were there and uh you know, I kind of uh I discovered a a file in our media relations archives that you've recently been able to to dig through and I thought it was worth the uh worth an episode of this podcast to talk about that because it was such a unique trip. And, you know, nowadays it doesn't happen anymore for whatever reason. And uh, and it also kind of marked uh, it was kind of significant in Red's history, because in my view, and if you if you kind of think about it a little bit, it kind of marked the end of the Big Red Machine era. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot to that. Uh, of course, uh, uh, one of the main core guys, Tony Perez, had had already departed Cincinnati by that time. He was the only uh, he was the only one that was not still around, or the, the primary one that was not still around. But uh, things uh, were were falling apart after that. Of course, Sparky was uh, was let go. Um, Almost at the very end of the trip, uh, you know, within a within a couple of weeks of the end of the trip, uh, so it it was definitely uh, uh, kind of a, a farewell showing of the of the big red machine as it as it was. Yeah, you're right about that. Sparky was actually um, it, that was a surprise. Um, what wasn't kind of a surprise so much was it was also Pete Rose's last appearance in a reds uniform for nearly a decade it, it it had had he had not come back to cincinnati uh his his final game as a red would have come in japan um, yeah yeah i forgot about that yeah that, that you're right you're right yeah, yeah pete was uh they because he, he he made the he that's when he began the great free agent tour <laughs> around the around the major leagues yeah that's right um yeah, we'll we'll get to all of that, but let's let's first get to the uh, the genesis of the trip. Um, it it kind of started from from what I'm gathering from the news clippings from that era. Uh, on December fifth, nineteen seventy seven, Jim, I'm sure you were uh, enjoying a nice cold drink and a uh, enjoy and and basking in the Hawaiian sun at the winter meetings. When uh, when word leaked that the Reds were invited Jap- to Japan following the '78 season, uh, and they were invited by the the rumor was that the owners of the of the Yomiuri Giants wanted the Reds there. Do you remember that? Do you remember yes, when the rumors yes. started to hit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, at 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 that time the 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 biggest newspaper in Tokyo. In the biggest, <laughs> it's a national newspaper over there, is the Yamiuri Shimbun, and it's one of the biggest at the time was one of the biggest papers in the world, and they also uh, they they own the Yamiuri Giants, which uh, dominated the Japan uh, baseball at that time. They were uh, like uh, considered the Yankees of of Japan baseball. 
they win the championships or, or we're in the playoffs, the, the Japan series every year. And uh, what they had done, uh, and I'm not sure what all, what, what all teams went, but I know the, the Mets had gone and I think Baltimore went, and I don't know if that was before us or after us, but it was like every three or four years they would invite a major league team to come over and tour Japan. And uh, after after we had uh, won these uh, back-to-back World Series, uh, I think I'm sure that's what triggered our invitation. And uh, uh, the... Uh, I, I don't. I, I remember when it, when it, the rumors first started hitting. I don't remember a lot about. It. I do remember that uh, it, I found out very quickly and uh, talking with Bob Housen that you know it was a very serious proposal and something that they uh, the team was was uh, interested in pursuing and seeing where it happened and and. Uh, I think we may, actually we made a, a formal announcement uh, uh, like New Year's Day or some such thing, you know, short, not too long after the winter meetings were over. Yeah, it was uh, January 2nd uh, of 1978. Yeah, okay, January 2nd. All right. I, I knew it was, a, it, was <laughs> it was New Year's Day or, or, or immediately after. I remember that part of it because I... I think uh, I, I think I was in the office on New Year's Day, uh, putting together a, a press release and getting a press conference uh, set up and so forth. Yeah, January second, nineteen seventy-eight. The Reds announced um, are are announced as the first major league team in four years to play a working tour of Japan, and it, the ten previous exhibition series played there by a U.S. team began in 1953 and and you're right every every three or four years uh and and most cases in the 50s 60s and into the 70s a team from the u.s would be invited to to play uh about a month-long tour of japan now jim when 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 you guys announced this did you know at the time that you were going to go on the trip uh that period of time for about uh I, I don't know, I, I, two or three or four weeks or something uh, was uh, one, of, one of the more stressful times, <laughs> self-imposed stress, because nobody was saying anything about who was going. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it's just one of those things you kick around in your own mind. You'd say, well, you know, I, I've got to be included, don't I? I mean, I'm, you know, dealing with all the media, and it's going to be a big media extravaganza in Japan and so forth. I, I've got to be included, don't I? And, and, but then I didn't hear anything, you know. I just <laughs> and 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 one night or uh, one day, uh, uh, Dick Wagner uh, uh, called me up to his office and he said. Uh, I wanted to see if you and your wife could uh, have uh, dinner with uh, him and his wife that night or the next night, whatever it might have been. And I said, sure, no problem. And uh, at, it was at that dinner that uh, uh, he invited my wife, Joanne, to uh, see if she was uh, interested in going to Japan. 
and uh, which uh, which time I breathed a big sigh of relief, <laughs> figuring if she was going, there's a good chance that I was going to be included too. <laughs> <laughs> so that uh, that was, and and that was a big uh, a big topic around the office. You know that I guess pretty much in a good part of January, uh, who's going and who's not. You know who might be included and so forth and so on. Now, did you did at the time that this was uh, being kicked around in the winter meetings, and and then even until uh, even into the into January when you guys when the Reds made the announcement, the American League was not happy about this, and this kind of harkens back to a a different time in in baseball when there was a legitimate competition between the American League and the National League. And the, no question, yeah. The American League was upset because the last time that a, a major league team got to go take a tour of Japan and play games there w- was the Mets, and they felt the American League owners felt that it was time for an American League team to play in Japan. So I find I found that interesting that there was such a competition and there was such an issue there because nowadays it, I don't think you know with you know with interleague play and you know as time goes on and it's a different game today that. I don't think there would be such a such an issue. Are there are there two leagues now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the it's like in, even in the commissioner's office, the, there used to be two very separate, distinct leagues. There was a National League office and an American League mm-hmm. office, and they had their own presidents, they had their own PR people, they had their own umpire staffs, they had everything. So the unfortunately, one of the one of the uh, interleague play, which I'm not a, a, a fan of, uh, uh, changed. There was a big part in changing all that. Yes, absolutely. So the Reds. Yeah, you know, the the thing is, uh, the you know, as far as uh, the invitation coming from Japan. Uh, to me, that wasn't shouldn't even have been an issue for the American League or the National League to consider. It's who does Japan is running the tour. They're making the invitation. They should be able to invite who they want. Absolutely, and and, and it helped that I, I believe it was the uh, the uh, the hitting streak of Pete Rose uh, in '78, the 44 game hitting streak. Uh, from what I'm reading through all these clips, a lot of those games and that story was picked up uh, uh, in Jap in in Japan, and a lot of the games were broadcast, and a lot of people watched. A lot of people in Japan watched those Reds games in which you know Pete was putting together a 44 game hitting streak. So I think that kind of helped uh, as far as the the coverage of the of the Reds team to get that invite. I, I'm, I'm sure that's correct, and, and it, it was, uh, I, I guess, uh, substantiated. Uh, that part of it uh, certainly was substantiated when we got over there because every time, no matter where we were in the country, uh, that you saw a billboard uh, uh, promoting the tour and the games wherever, you know, various places around, Pete Rose's picture was on that billboard, and in, I believe on every ticket in every ballpark, Rose's picture was on every ticket, I believe. 
Yeah, that's that's what I'm gathering as well from from these archives. Is uh, Rose was and, the, and, Rose and was the big had, deal. You know, the feat was just. I mean, over there it was Sadahara O of the Giants, the great home run hitter, mm-hmm. and Pete Rose. I mean, every ballpark we went to, that that was the two people. I mean, I mean, all of our guys got a tremendous amount of attention, and and and, and certainly. Uh, bench, Johnny uh, Bench was was a, a huge draw as well. But the 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 first primary function almost in every ballpark was Thadhar O and Pete Rose. So when the when not long after the Reds announced that they were going to make this tour of Japan, the team as well as Barney Rap Travel, um, for those of you longtime Cincinnatians, will recognize that name. The, the, they, they mailed out brochures, about 12,000 brochures to season ticket holders and regular customers to highlight a package uh, to go visit, the, go, to go to Japan to visit and sightsee and take in a couple games while the Reds were there. This package, Jim, was a whopping $2,350. And it included, I... it included seeing two of the 17 games. And uh, also a tour of San Francisco, Hong Kong, Manila, as well as obviously several Japanese cities. I wonder how much that package would go for today. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm I'm well aware of that package because I, in I, I, uh, I, I dug out an old one one of the one of the really nice things that the sponsors over there did for everybody in the Reds party was prepare a, 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 a very fancy photo album with uh, oh, about three dozen big 8 by 10 pictures, most of them color pictures, uh, of various events that happened uh, around uh, during, the, during the tour at different game sites, at, at various receptions and parties they had, and uh, the different tours that the, that the wives went on. And uh, a picture that was tucked away in there that I had forgotten about that I had added to this, this album was a picture of me sitting in the bleachers at a, some ballpark with Reds Rooters. <laughs> we, we had our own fan section there for not for very many games. I didn't remember how many. I thought it was two, two or three or four, something like that. And... Uh, and everybody's holding red, uh, Cincinnati Reds uh, pennants, and uh, everybody's dressed in dressed in red, and uh, uh, different people uh, that are connected with the uh, Rap Rooters are are in the picture uh, with me. And the, the other reason that I uh, uh, was reminded of it uh, at the time was that my mother and sister went on that trip, mm. took the package. And, uh, so. It was they, they went on they, yeah they 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 bought into that package and made the trip and they they and they were just you know we were able to see them uh, two or three days and then they went on to Hong Kong and I think maybe they stopped in Manila or something mm-hmm. on the way home or yeah. something like that but uh, it was a, I know they had a great trip and uh, and it was good to see people from home <laughs> sure. certainly Jim do you remember them. about how many people took that took it up took that package and 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 went was it and was it you know 30 was it about in the hundreds uh i i've got this one i got this 
picture out in front of me right now. Um, and I, I would say, uh, just looking at this picture, which doesn't, doesn't include everybody, uh, but it's, uh, it looks like there might be 50, uh, 50 people or so. And, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, how many others there might've been, uh, Ruby uh, Ruby Wright is in the picture, um, and uh, so probably less than about a hundred, you would think, probably. I I would say probably less than a hundred uh, because I, I I think this picture would have it's a it's showing a big section of people and uh, uh, you know just just where I can count people mm -hmm. I, I see 30 or 35 or 40 so I would think that would be uh, there wouldn't have probably been more than twice that many I, I would say probably maybe 75 or something like that now the Reds go on and they they post a 92 and 69 record during that 1978 season I had to you had to think in the back of their mind that uh, especially late in the year that you know the season is going to be a long one and then we are going to go halfway around the world and play another month of baseball that was a, 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 certainly on everybody's mind uh, late in the season uh, you know because the, the World Series didn't run you know into November like it like it does now but uh, there was if, if we had gone into the World Series again we would have had um, no more than a, like a week or ten day break from the end of the World Series to to leaving for leaving Japan. <laughs> yeah, and this was a Japan. this was a voluntary trip. However, uh, most of the big stars did go, uh, including Rose, who was at the time kind of in limbo with uh, with his contract, which kind of surprises me that that he would you know nowadays I, I doubt if if there was such thing a thing as a Japan tour. I doubt a guy in Rose's situation would go. But those that didn't go uh, included uh, Dave Concepcion, who, who passed on the trip to go home to Venezuela. Joe Morgan did not go because he, was, uh, he stayed back to rest an ab muscle. Cesar Geronimo was recovering from phlebitis, which he was in the hospital for 10 days towards the end of the year. Um, and, and then kind of, uh, you know, I don't want to say lesser guys, but not as notable as, as the Big Red Machine guys. Like Paul Moscow had a sore, a sore shoulder. Ken Henderson had a toe problem. Uh, Rick Auerbach stayed back, as well as a very young outfielder named Dave Collins, who would go on to have success with the Reds. Those guys stayed back. But were you surprised by the, uh, by the amount of the of big stars that agreed to go on this trip, Jim? Uh, yeah, somewhat because uh, the uh, because it was going to be a month trip. You know, I mean, we we were actually gone twenty eight days, and I, I think that that's certainly one of the reasons. There's 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 a lot of other reasons, but one of the major reasons it couldn't happen in today's baseball because you couldn't get uh, a. a a full team or a representative team to commit a, a month, you know, basically sure. a month mm -hmm. uh, of, of going over there. But this was uh, this was a, a different time. Uh, 
international travel was not uh, probably uh, probably of the guys that were on this trip that that weren't international <laughs> players and they they're they're probably I don't know if we had any international players that actually went I mean you know when, when you eliminate uh, Geronimo and, and Concepcion uh, probably most of them had had never been on any kind of an international trip you know it wasn't common to vacation in uh, uh, in uh, Europe or uh, the Orient or you know or anything like that so it, it was it was a a much more desirable kind of thing and I think another factor uh, and you you have to include it certainly is uh, you had uh, 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 probably a lot of wives who were uh, pushing this trip's hand. You know, come on, <laughs> <laughs> we're good. You, you can take me to Japan for a month, and I can tour all over there and, and get paid for do, it. Do all these things and get some, and get some pay, get paid, and it's going to be you know all expenses paid. No. We we don't have to spend any of our own money and uh, and have this great trip. And you're going to say you're tired of baseball or something. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> so I'm sure there were uh, there was a lot of lobbying going on at at home. Jim, who did I'm, you? And I know there was in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my next question. Tell me who you took on the trip. I, I Personally, my my wife and I uh, went, which uh, upset my uh, teenage daughter Julie very much when she found out that uh, Sparky uh, Sparky's wife uh, was not going for whatever reason. I don't I don't know, but he he uh, uh, said that he was going to take his teenage daughter instead of his wife on the trip, and my daughter said. Shirley Anderson is going on this trip. Why can't I go? I said, well, just pick up a media guide and look in there, and you'll think you'll find out that Sparky is the manager of the team, and I'm not. <laughs> Reds, Reds players were paid. The, the, this is kind of weird to me, and maybe you can help kind of explain it, but it was agreed upon that the Reds players were going to be paid. The guys that were bachelors and didn't take their wives uh, were paid $9,000 each and approximately $80 a day in meal money, whereas the married players were going to earn $4,800 a piece for the trip, but they had their, their meal money doubled uh, for a daily daily meal money, which was, it turned out to be 30,000 yen daily for the married players, 15,000 yen a day for the, for the for the Reds that didn't bring anyone. Who agreed? Was that a Dick Wagner thing, or who agreed to do that? Uh, that I don't know. I, I mean, I remember there was I remember there was uh, money involved, and uh, uh, that uh, there was meal money. There's a side story about that, at least according to my memory, and I think I'm right on this, was that uh, if, you, uh, if you ate in the hotel, which was the fabulous hotel, uh, the new Otani, uh, you could just sign and, and uh, 
that that wasn't against your you didn't have to use your meal money you could just sign in the hotel and that was that was just an extra thing if you oh. wanted to eat out you could go eat anywhere you wanted to and you had money to do that but i believe you could just sign in the in the in the hotel which was uh, and one of the great things about the hotel was it had this this was a a really big it was like 1500 rooms and it had i would say 14 or 15 restaurants really really not i mean uh, there was like a chinese restaurant uh, two or three japanese restaurants an italian restaurant an american restaurant every specialty you can think of they they had a a nice restaurant uh so you could do whatever you know you could you could eat a different type of meal each night that you were actually in tokyo or or whatever and, so and from what i understand they, jim they, i'm sorry go ahead the, the 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 other good thing from my standpoint was on my other japanese baseball trip when i was involved with the, uh, the tampa bay team we stayed at the same hotel so it was like <laughs> it was like returning back to a place that was already <laughs> familiar with <laughs> uh, and, and from what i gather from from the news uh from that trip uh something that the wives kind of pointed out as well as the players it was not cheap to be there and to eat out and to and to enjoy the uh the japanese uh the shopping and whatnot i believe no there, you it, 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 it was a, it's an expensive city it was an expensive city then and I'm sure it's an expensive city now they couldn't believe Carolyn Rose in, in one of the uh, the stories that I dug up was uh, was amazed that a steak in Japan at the time now keep in mind this was at the time was $47.50 and that her husband Pete uh, had a meal there that cost him $150 just for him and pointed out that the steak was almost $50 and that everything else was a la carte. Everything didn't come together like like folks right. are That's, familiar uh, with. I, I, would, uh, I would say that uh, that, that is, was a very accurate portrayal. The, uh, you know, and, a, and a, a, a really good steak dinner back in the U.S. at that time would have, you know, might have been 10 or $12 or something. <laughs> And, and this hotel had an incredible steakhouse. It was small. It was probably because it was so expensive. Uh, I think it only seated like about 50. But they 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 featured something called which is a delicacy over there, and and had became a delicacy over here called Kobe beef, K O B E. Uh, and there's a city over there or an area called Kobe, and they specialize in raising cattle that are totally protected from elements and so forth and it's so tender and flavorful and i can still taste it today <laughs> and i and i and i think the the uh, you know any any steak in that in that restaurant in the hotel was uh i, I would have said about 40 dollars something like that in you in u.s money and uh I was. That's why I'm, I have a feeling that you could sign for it because I remember that being my favorite place, and I was in there I think three or four times, and 
and I don't, I don't know that I would have been in there spending forty dollars or 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 eighty if counting my wife because I <laughs> I would not she wouldn't have let me go in there by myself I know that. <laughs> so while we're on the subject of food. I understand that, you know, just going through the archives, that Johnny Bench and other players certainly uh, dove right in, so to speak, and tried all kinds of different stuff over there. But then there were other players, uh, especially I think uh, Mike Lacoste is one. He pointed out that he survived on the the McDonald's restaurants that were over there. <laughs> yeah, the, the food was the food was a definite issue. Well. Uh, one of the one of the, uh, the things that I uh, remember very distinctly from there, uh, I, I had uh, uh, there was a there was a man uh, a, a, a media guy from uh, Tokyo uh, named Pancho Ito, who was uh, uh, an official with the uh, one of the two leagues over there. I don't know if he was like the PR man for the league. But he made regular trips to the U.S. Uh, and and knew like everybody from an executive standpoint, in baseball one, and uh, and he had known Bob Housen for a long time, so he was always came into into Cincinnati uh, with some regularity, and uh, he uh, and, uh, and and uh, a few of his friends invited. Uh, uh, my wife and I to dinner in a in a Japanese restaurant in in uh, on the Genza uh, in uh, in Tokyo, and uh, this was a restaurant. He, he said that up until a few months before, you could not enter. You couldn't go in the door unless you were Japanese. Uh, an American literally could not could not go in there and buy a meal. And uh, so we went in there, and uh, and I'm trying to find something on the menu <laughs> that I I'm not very adventurous with the uh, with the food, and uh, it was it was a struggle. I I found a couple of things that I liked, and I loaded up on that, and I tried everything, but a lot of those trials were were one bite or or two bites at the most. <laughs> So let's get to the baseball action over there. Uh, Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, uh he traveled with you guys, right? Did he travel on the on the on the plane? Yes. With well, the, I, with I, the team? I, I, he, I, I, I don't. Re- I think he was on the 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 charter. We had a charter, a, a Japan Airlines uh, charter, uh, right out of Cincinnati. Uh, I don't know if he joined us here. I th- he he was in the uh, the, the picture uh, of that was taken at the airport uh, when we arrived. So I'm pretty sure that he was on the on the plane with us. Uh, but it, you know, it, it, I, I just don't remember that specifically. Uh, we also had our own umpire with us. Right, Lee Wire. Lee Wire. Uh, he he was uh, made the whole trip and. Uh, and uh, uh, was part of our party. Was really, really uh, outstanding guy. We spent a lot of time together. Yeah, Major League Baseball umpire Lee Wire, who 
who at, it was six foot seven, two hundred and sixty five pounds, <laughs> right. was the yeah. lone uh, American umpire to to ha- go over and and umpire those games with the uh, the other ump- Japanese umpires. And I understand that he also conducted. Um, uh, classes clinics. and clinics. Yeah, and with, clinics, clinics. Yeah, there was quite a bit of that. Uh, bench, uh, bench would have uh, uh, sessions at the ballpark with uh, with. Uh, uh, it was not unusual to have uh, about half our games were against the the Yamiuri Giants, and the other half were against uh, teams that were put together of two or three teams or an all-star team of, and so forth sort of geared a lot of times geared to wh- what part of the country we were playing in and uh, bench would have a uh, catching clinics and uh, and uh, uh, he and, uh, and rose and foster would have uh, hitting clinics talk you know talking to the japanese players about various things so it was a it was a educational thing for Japanese uh, players as well as uh, uh, the umpires and so forth. Okay, so the Reds are going to begin a 17-game trip that include to be played 17 games to be played in 13 cities in Japan. Now, for those to put that into perspective, uh, I kind of compare it. I kind of like to think of it as a uh, a typical march for a Reds team in which, you know, basically you're playing uh, a spring training schedule every day and you're playing a month long, maybe not quite as arduous. The Japan trip may not been quite as uh, arduous as a typical March, but it's kind of close. Wouldn't you agree, Jim? Uh, yeah, somewhat like that. Other than uh, what we would do a lot, we, we would play two days, I don't think we ever played more than three days in a row. You know, we'd play two days and then have an off day or mm-hmm. play three days and have an off day. So it was, uh, and uh, most, a good, at least the first half of the trip, uh, we were back in Tokyo almost every night. Uh, what, what, what we would do, uh, the, well, the first four games were played in Tokyo, uh, and then like we would go out on a uh, on a two day trip, and then uh, come back in the you know where we'd stay one night, we'd fly out someplace in the in the morning, and play that day, stay that night, uh, or fly to a you know a second city, and then uh, come back into Tokyo. So it was. Uh, uh, not a lot of uh, it was a good bit of travel but it was uh, it was kind of uh, put in a you know a little pod like like uh, sure. not every day you're you're going somewhere right now, now real quick I'll go through the the team that was actually on the trip beginning with the pitchers we had uh, Doug Bear Pedro Borbone a gentleman named Dan Dumoulin Tom Hume who was a really young man at the time. Mike Lacoste, also, he was only 22. You had Fred Norman, the great Tom Seaver, a young Mario Soto, who was only 22, made the trip. Um, Dave Tomlin was uh, rounds out the pitching roster. The, your catchers were Johnny Bench and Vic Correll. The infielders were Dan Dreesen, 
um, Mike Grace, let's see, Junior Kennedy, Ray Knight, a young man at the time, a 22-year-old Ron Oster, and, of course, Pete Rose made the trip. Your outfielders were Mickey Duvall, who was a double-A player, um, who I think you'll have to uh, remind me on this one, Jim, that he was added as a replacement. Right. We were at, when they were putting the tour together, or they're putting the squad together, uh, they felt that there was a position uh, that they, they they needed an, another player that uh, you know I guess with the, with Geronimo not uh, not going uh, and they so the, uh, the Mickey had uh, he hadn't not spent any time up with the Reds but he was available and it was a guy that uh, had some versatility and and so they added him to the squad just to make sure they were protected uh you know in the outfield george foster uh ken griffey who became the the primary center fielder on the trip mike lum and a guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later champ summers rounded out the roster and then you of course you had sparky and your coaches uh who were on that trip um the time difference and some of the owners of the reds went on the trip also. yes absolutely i, I believe yeah. uh lewis nippert was definitely on the trip um, yeah, and uh, he and his wife were both there. Uh, I believe the Williams, some of the Williams family was there. Roger Rule was on the trip. He was a Red Staffer. Uh, that... Right. What? What? Uh, the the only uh, the, the the Red Staff that was there. Uh, uh, Roger and Dale Stober, who were both uh, uh, department heads, that uh, that that they wanted to include but because there were obviously a lot of things had to be gone be done back here in cincinnati mm -hmm. at that time um uh, they split the trip uh, dale and uh, roger split the trip two weeks each one went the first two weeks and came home and the other one joined us for the last two weeks and then because of the way they were traveling with uh wives and executives they felt they needed uh, two traveling secretaries. And Paul Campbell, I believe, had retired uh, not too long before that, as uh, had been traveling secretary for quite a few years. And Doug Bierman was the current traveling secretary. So Doug traveled with the team wherever we went, and uh, Paul traveled with the uh, wives and executives tours wherever they went so they each had their own traveling secretary uh you know for the various trips there was and there were there were uh uh it, it was a, a a great trip for the for the wives and the and the club executives and, and their wives who didn't necessarily have to be at every ball game and it was it was what what usually happened when if we were taking a little side trip out of Tokyo to go uh, like we went up to the Hokkaido, which is the Sapporo, and up in the north far north part of Japan, we went up there to play a game and uh, and hit in the city Sendai, I believe it was on the way back. So we were gone for two days uh, and came back into Tokyo. Well. Whenever we did something like that, the 
this sponsoring uh, uh, paper had a separate trip set up for the wives and executives and took them to more of a uh, sightseeing, touristy, you know, know, things that that they wanted to show off about their country. Uh, They would take, take them on a trip like that. And uh, and then we would all gather back in Tokyo at the end of the second day. And I, I think they had, oh, seven or eight, nine different trips apart from the team uh, during that during the month. So it was a it was a, you know an outstanding uh, vacation in in Japan for for that group. Now, Fergie, the the time difference uh, beginning at the, at the beginning of the trip was 13 hours. It went to 14 hours after daylight savings time ended. The games ended at around 3 a.m. Cincinnati time. So, can you give us an idea on how on what the coverage was uh, of those games? I know there were two writers on the trip, and the Reds also did like a produced a like a, a two minute uh, recap that aired on WLW in the evenings. Yeah, the the uh, the writers on the trip were not uh, Cincinnati writers. Uh, one was Saad Burek, the sports editor of the of the Dayton News, uh, and the other was Fred Russell of the Nashville Banner, uh, who had uh, were both regulars at uh, in uh, spring training with the Red. Well, both of them uh, basically covered. They went to all the camps around, you know, around Tampa and visited different teams. They were kind of centered with the Reds, and uh, but they didn't always write about the Reds. You know, I mean, if the if the Reds had a game in Lakeland, that might be when they would be doing their uh, Detroit Tigers coverage, or if they went to uh, Sarasota, you know, it would be uh, whoever happened to be there at the time, White Sox, I believe. Uh, but they were both very much uh, uh, interested in the Reds, and, and of course, Cy Burek covered the Reds on a on a regular basis uh, from uh, from spring training on through the season um, as, as a columnist. So they were not writing, uh, and they were they went to some games and they did the uh, the tour with the wives. <laughs> in a lot of them so they were not there uh on a regular writing basis uh i'm sure they were uh, sending back uh columns periodically uh but what uh i would call in a in a report back uh, probably i don't know into a, i don't know recording or 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 what with just you know details of the game and what had happened and who did what uh and then it was all put together here in cincinnati there was no uh, regular uh coverage uh, you know on a day-by-day basis uh of, of game stories that type of thing now let's get to the games again the games begin on and i believe the first game let me see what the with the schedule here was the first game ended in a Reds loss, a seven to six Reds loss. Sada Haru O, the great Japanese champion home run hitter, the Babe Ruth of Japan, hit a home run off Tom Seaver, and uh, it was it proved to be the difference. The giant, the Yomiuri Giants beat the Reds seven to six in front of forty seven thousand people. 
Um, was there any concern? Was how serious did the did did Sparky take the games? That did Dick? How serious did Dick Wagner take these games? Uh, I know in the past that some of the the teams that went over for a tour of Japan didn't have a lot of success, but I, I understand that Sparky really wanted to to put out a good showing here. Was there any concern after that first game? Uh, yeah, there was some. Not you know, not the. I think the the, the kind of the selling point that that Sparky got into was these people that are filling these you know that's going to be filling the stadiums they want to see their team do well but they they want you guys to win because your major league your major league stars that they're going to wonder what's going on if you know if we win if they win too many games and uh, and I think that was a you know one of the selling points that that that, that Sparky was making with the guys that you got to while you're here you got to play hard and you got to and, and I'm not saying they didn't in that game uh, because uh, there you know there was some there was some pretty good talent uh, in that in that other lineup but uh, it was one of those things where. We we want we know they're going to be able to compete with us to some to, you know to a certain degree, but we've got to we've got to win these games and we got to play hard and do it. The Reds then went on to um, to to win um, to win many of these games. In fact, Sparky at the beginning of the tour. Uh, gave a quote to the to the Associated Press. I will be very happy if we win 14 of our 17 game tour. Guess what, Jim? The Reds won 14 of the 17 games, including yeah. tr- the last 12. It, didn't we have one tie also? There was also a tie. Yes. It was, yeah, I, I was thinking it was 14, two and one. Is what I was what I was thinking the re- final record turned out to be. And and Pete went on to hit uh, safely in the first 16 games, and I think he took an over in that last game, but he had a 16-game hitting streak. Well, he was a streaker. <laughs> no question <laughs> about that. He could, he could handle hitting streaks. <laughs> from Just from the information that I read, uh, that there was an awkward... Uh, I guess kind of an awkward relationship with Dick Wagner and Rose on this trip. And it, of course it's centered around the contract dispute. Um, Pete actually is quoted in one of the stories from Japan that uh, he and Dick Wagner didn't even speak. Do you remember any of that? No, I, I, I don't, I, I don't, re- don't recall any, uh, any problem, you know, of that nature, but it, it it's, it's, you know, unless it was, uh, unless there were a lot of harsh words being said, it's a thing that you, you know, you probably wouldn't be aware of anyway. Hey, Jim, can you describe a little bit of the atmosphere at these games? I understand that the fans brought in whistles. There were cheerleaders, drums. They had flower girls. Absolutely, they, uh, which is common in in all Japanese baseball games. They're regular season games. They have cheerleaders that get up on the dugouts. Uh, uh, like occasionally you see at our ballpark between innings, but there it was. It was while the game was going on, you know. And they they have chants and sing songs and uh, a, a lot of uh, a cheering of that nature. And it was uh, uh, we we played to uh, 
uh, sellout crowds. I think there was, I only remember one game when we didn't have a sellout crowd and that was a, a, a cold rainy day. And we still had uh, like thirty thousand people there. Yeah, the, the numbers the, bulk, the yeah, numbers came ahead. out to be in seventeen dates. Uh, Jim, you had in a press release that the crowds uh, got up. To, you totaled about five hundred and fifty thousand fans in seventeen dates. That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah, and and, the, and some of the, some of the ballparks uh, were not that big. The the, the ballpark in Tokyo. Uh, was uh, between forty-five and fifty thousand. Uh, the the uh, uh, there was another. There were two ballparks. Uh, and uh, let me look at my. I have a feeling you're going to mention Nisha Nisha Namaya uh, uh, Stadium. And, uh, they seated about 50, but a lot of the ballparks were more in the 35, 38,000. Uh, one was uh, considerably smaller than that, I think. Uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the ballparks. Were they, I mean, how were the facilities? Were they nice? Uh, yeah, it's a new Otani. <laughs> uh, the team dressed at the hotel pretty much everywhere we were because the clubhouses were extremely small and one of them uh, one stadium we were uh, the back of the dugout uh, was open and, and the, that was at the clubhouse it was right there right right behind the dugout uh, but they were uh, they were not big enough to, to handle all the dressing and uh, so forth so Pretty much everywhere we were, uh, we would the team would dress at the hotel, go out, play the game, go back to the hotel, and change. I understand the, the, the ballparks uh, themselves were were you know were not bad. Some of them were were very nice. Uh, one place we played on an all dirt field. There was not a blade of dirt grass on the entire field. Yeah, that <laughs> that was like a you know, to- Toyama back Field, in high school or, or amateur ball or something. That that was Toyama Field that you're speaking of, Jim. It had no pitcher's mound, and the entire field was dirt. How? What right. in the world? How how did Sparky agree to have his pitchers throw off uh, flat surface? Um. Uh, I don't know that one. I can't answer that one. <laughs> I, I, all I remember about that was the dirt was black. I mean, it was really black dirt everywhere. Getting back to Rose for a second, this is the trip in which I, I know a lot of fans, especially the local Reds fans, remember Pete, and uh, he used to champion the brand uh, Mizuno. And this is the trip in which he signed that deal with Mizuno. He, while he was in Japan on this trip, he signed with the uh, the Japanese sporting goods company Mizuno, and that's who made his bats. And I think he wore uh, Mizuno shoes. Right. Uh, I think one of the things that you said very early in this, in our conversation was uh, a little surprised that Pete, as a, who was basically a free agent at that time or, or, or well may not offic- not officially that he even went uh, 
he had so many things lined up for over there <laughs> that put money in his pocket. Uh, I think that <laughs> that was the answer to that, to that right there, uh, because ever he, he had uh, events, uh, you know, at different things. Anytime we had a free day, he had an event lined up that, that <laughs> probably the Mizuno people were, uh, you know, had arranged or whatever. Uh, but uh, he he did not. I don't believe he had any off days <laughs> in our month trip. <laughs> Now, the Reds, as I, as I mentioned earlier, won the final 12 games of this tour. And some of the the, the bright spots that came out of this, um, you know, it's easy to see that, you know, Johnny Bench, you know, hit a, hit a lot of home runs. George Foster provided a lot of impressive power on the trip. Pete was Pete. Um, however, three guys that come to mind here that I see had a lot of success, and I want to see what your take is on it, Jim, with these players. One was a young Tom Hume who would uh, experience – uh, some success in the big leagues. Uh, eventually, he went on to become a, a coach in the Reds uh, major league system. You had Mike Lacoste, who uh, who made an impressive showing on this trip. And then, as we mentioned before, a 30-year-old outfielder named Champ Summers. Anything stick out from those from those three guys that I mentioned? Um. I can't – no, I can't I, – I mean, I know they, they played well over there, uh, but I, I, I don't remember anything – I can't really say that uh, I remember specifically things. They, you know, they, there were, they were players, and certainly they were uh, included in it, that really felt this was an opportunity for them to really uh, – show themselves off and show the, show the Reds, you know, how good they could be and how valuable they could be and really threw themselves into, uh, into their, their performances over there. Lacoste went 4-0. and He pitched 33 innings and four starts. He gave up three earned runs in 33 innings. That equates to a 0.82 ERA. Tom Hume... He uh, he went five and zero in five starts. He pitched to a two six eight ERA, and then uh, as we mentioned, Champ Summers batted three seventy in fifteen games. He went twenty for fifty four with five home runs, ten RBI, uh, and three stolen bases. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And the the uh, the the footnote to Champ Summers uh, was when Sparky got fired not soon after this trip ended. Um, Summers played part of the a little bit of the '79 season with the Reds and ended up getting traded over to Sparky and had a, a moderate success with the Tigers. So I think Sparky was uh, knew what this guy could do and 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 played and him. And, and, and appreciated. You know, I, I I think you know one thing Sparky appreciated the effort when when guys were were giving ultra effort at any stage of his time in Cincinnati, you know, it was something that he jumped on and appreciated. And I'm sure that was even, and maybe even extra that way in Japan where where it would have been easy for guys to, to coast a little bit. Jim, you put out a really fun press release about a week into this trip, uh, and it was uh, 
it, it was kind of like this. Uh, you entitled it The Sights and Sounds with Cincinnati Reds while touring Japan. And I'm going to read you a few of these and see if you uh, if it uh, brings back any memories. The first the first uh, bullet point that you have here uh, was that Johnny Bench picked up a new nickname in Japan. He was known as the Candy Man. Do you remember the that? The Candy Man, absolutely. Uh, one of the things uh, uh, that there was a uh, some kind. I, I don't remember exactly how you did it but at every ballpark there was a there was a a, a prize of chocolate a really good chocolate and uh it had to do with home runs or uh i i don't know if uh, batting practice uh, batting practice over there was uh was an incredible sight because uh most of the ballparks are a little smaller in dimensions uh, from you know outfield dimensions than uh, what we were used to, so uh, when when Foster and and Bench in particular uh, were taking batting practice, uh, I mean the balls were just flying into the bleachers wherever wherever we were, and uh, uh, it seems like uh, at, at the end of the at the end of the game there was a there was this uh, uh, presentation this chocolate presentation. Uh, at home plate, and uh, and uh, Bench says, "Never, don't worry, guys. I'll be bringing you the candy." <laughs> so, and that he picked up that candy man. The next item, ben, the next okay. item you have on your list here is Isao Harimoto, an outfielder for the Tokyo Yomiuri Giants, who is just 92 hits short of becoming the first player in Japanese baseball history to reach 3,000 career hits. Watched hard-throwing Doug Bear pitch batting practice before the first game in Tokyo, then told Bear that he would pay for Bear's plane ticket if he would go back to the United States right then. <laughs> Harry Moto was was one of the really really great personalities uh, on that team. He was a, a veteran uh, outfielder. He'd been around a long time. Obviously, if he's getting close to three thousand hits, he had a lot of power. He was like the number two. Uh, star behind uh, Sadahara O, and uh, it, it, to all our guys, he was just Harry. <laughs> hey Harry, how you doing? You know, I mean, and they they would kid around with him a lot and had a lot of lot of fun with him. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he was he was uh, a great personality guy and, and spoke spoke some English, so uh, you know they could. Uh, I don't know how fluent he was, but it was it was they didn't have any trouble communicating back and forth with him. Pedro Borbon threw his blooper pitch to Sadaharuo, the Japanese home run king, who dropped his bat at the plate and laughed. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, Borbon was, you never knew what was going to happen with Borbon <laughs> in this country or Japan. <laughs> <laughs> At Tokyo's 50,000-seat Corkin Stadium, the dugouts have pits in the floor that contain charcoal fires for warmth on chilly days. Yeah, everything was uh, was outside, and uh, uh, the, the, the dugouts uh, had uh, uh, pretty much everywhere, as I recall, it was, had like Two two rows of seats. There was a, and and often there would be, uh, different things in in different ballparks that, that were unusual. Like I say, this one it just 
had an opening and went directly into what whatever clubhouse there was and uh it was a, it was a unusual unusual situation to see that's for sure and one of the other final things that you have here is you pointed out we talked about the tie games in that you know the in Japan tie games were not uncommon uh they they no. were 16 tie games during the 78 regular season you have and you have here yeah, that the, uh, and, and what what we were told was the reason for that was uh and and uh on this booklet that I had mentioned that had all these timetables in it one of the things that you see with every with every game uh, it says uh, uh start of game ending of game <laughs> four o'clock yeah you Starting actually game one thirty you point it's ending of game and now I don't know that we ever reached a game that was stopped, but in the regular season over there mm-hmm. uh when it comes a certain time, they stop the game. And, and the reason uh, we were told is because uh, of the scheduling of, uh, of the subway trains. And, uh, and uh, most all people were go to and from the games by public transportation, subways or buses or whatever. And so they can't have a 13-inning game that goes uh, four and a half hours. <laughs> because oh. the subways would be shut down before the people would go leave the ballpark, <laughs> so they stopped the games at ten o'clock or whatever yeah, it might you have whatever it, it might be. You have it here, Jim, that night games during the regular season start at six thirty. If that score is tied after nine innings, the game the teams continue to play until nine thirty. After that, the game is declared a tie. Okay, I knew it. I knew it was tied to a time, and it, and it and it was because of. Uh, of uh, the subways and public transportation is the reason that that they had it that way. You folks were warned not to eat the hot dogs, right? Uh, I believe that, I don't know. That came, I don't remember that. <laughs> that came up in one of the uh, the the food the food stories from that that was reported over there from Japan. Okay. Carolyn Rose pointed out that she, they, the the delicacy there was a bowl of rice was kind of like the the hot dog uh, in Japan, but they also did have hot dogs, but the wives and the the folks that traveled with the with the players were told not to eat the hot dogs for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't recall that, but that's uh, I I do I do remember that uh, in the in the clubhouses uh, in uh, the clubhouse uh, in, well, when we were in Tokyo and uh, maybe somewhere else that uh, there was a spread in the clubhouse after the game that had come from one of the fancy restaurants at the, at the new Otani Hotel. The chef was out there and had these big silver bowls and all kinds of <laughs> fancy food in the clubhouse for the immediate snack after the game. Jim, you tell a, you tell a pretty good story about when, you, when the guys paid a visit to the Hiroshima Peace Memorial. Yeah, that was a very, very emotional uh, uh, experience. We we went to uh, there. There is a uh, uh, something called the Peace Park, I believe it's called, uh, where these memorials were set up uh, uh, from the uh, atomic uh, bomb thing. And it's it's uh, as you look 
over past the the uh, memorial where we uh, 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 put up a, uh, put wreaths and, and things uh, there at a little ceremony. You could see that the there's a there's a, a famous it was like a a bell tower or some kind of a building that survived the blast that is may still be there it's kind of a a, a, a long-term thing and it's off in the distance you can see it and when we before we went to the ballpark there is a there's a museum uh, 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 there right alongside the place with all these various things that have been gathered atomic uh, related atomic bomb related and, and we're going, we go in this place, uh, some of us, I don't know if everybody went in there or not, but I know uh, there was a group of us dead. And we're in this, uh, looking in these display cases at various things, and from the other end of the building, there was a, a the most blood-curdling scream I've ever heard in my life. Mm. And... Obviously, we had no idea, you know, what was going on or whatever. But it was, it was, uh, it, it definitely got your attention real quick. And we found out later that um, what had happened was there were some there were some Japanese people that, took, you know, it was open to like for people to take tours through and so forth. And some people that were uh, in the building had come across something in, in one of the exhibits that was family related, their own family related. But hmm. I mean, when we heard this, it was like, you know, what in the world is going on? And, and it was, it was very emotional and it was very alarming at the time because, you know, who knew what it was? Yeah. And and at the time, we're talking about we're only what thirty years removed from the end of World War II, uh, so it's you know still kind of fresh in yeah, a lot it was of people's still fresh minds. Yeah, in, in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, mm-hmm. no question. No now, question. One of the things that uh, when when baseball was not being played, um, a lot of the things that were going on was shopping. There was a lot of shopping, including not just by the wives and and the guests, but by the players as well. I see that uh, a lot of the players came back with some pretty good stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of shopping going on. There's <laughs> no question about that. Everybody brought stuff back. One and one of the things that this this the 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 the, the organizing people that were in charge of all this were just they were so incredible that. Uh, uh, like the last day we were there, they had uh, a big, uh, uh, like a, a ballroom, small ballroom uh, area at the hotel, and everybody was invited to bring all their stuff that they that they had accumulated down there, and and these people would pack it up and and seal everything and. And put you know protective paper around it and bubble wrap or whatever whatever and just pack everything for you uh, so you could take it you know could be taken straight to the plane. One of the interesting nuggets that I saw was uh, Johnny Bench came came away with um, Sada Haru O's jersey 
And he was also given an umbrella that was used in Japan to shelter Babe Ruth when he was on first base in 1933 during during a, uh, a rainstorm. Do you remember That's any of that? A couple pretty good additions. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sparky has a has a fun quote. He 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 told a local newspaper man, "I left with six suitcases. I've got thirteen coming back." <laughs> Well, I, I had a suitcase story also. Mine was not was not like quite like that because the, the number of suitcases and boxes that I left Tokyo with did not arrive in Cincinnati. We stopped on the way back in Alaska and went through customs at Alaska. And I think we we're on the ground like three hours. One of my suit one of my smaller suitcases never left Alaska. Oh man. What did you what did you bring back? What were some of the items that you brought back, Fergie? Uh, the number one thing I brought back was a uh, a uh, and you, you see it a lot uh, on uh, uh, not a lot but in various places. It's it's like a ceremonial sword and a ceremonial dagger that are that are like only one of them was about three feet long and one's about a foot long and they and it in a little wooden rack you know that you could display on a desk or on a uh, end table or something like that uh, that that was the number one thing that I that I brought my my wife however was more interested in pearls and jade and <laughs> things like that <laughs> We talked a little bit about the, the, the success the Reds had on the field during this tour, obviously 14-2-1, and two and one, and we talked about some of the individual successes. Do you remember anything from the, uh, from the Japanese side as far as, as far as players that stood out? Obviously, we talked about... Uh, uh, well, there's, uh, one, there's one that stood out very much. and uh, Well, I mean, obviously, Sadahara Oh and, and, and Arimoto were both, but... But the one uh, from another standpoint that that Vince did not bring any souvenirs back from is they had a relief pitcher um, who was, by my memory, I would say he was about uh, six two or six three, and maybe weighed uh, 160 or 170 pounds, all arms and legs, and he threw sidearm. And they called him Spider-Man because he was just, I mean, you looked out there, it was all arms and legs. And and Bench, I think Bench faced him uh, maybe a couple of times. And the rest of the 17-game tour, whenever Spider-Man came to the plate, came, to the, came into the game, if Bench was there, he walked to the dugout and said, Vic, you're in there. <laughs> he wanted no part of Spider-Man. Sparky did not have to send up a pinch hitter. Vince made the decision for him. <laughs> Vic, you're in there. And so Carell went to the plate. There's a and lot. it happened more than it happened several times. <laughs> there, as you know, Sparky, there was a lot of uh, inflated quotes. If 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 you will about From Sparky, no, <laughs> not Sparky, not inflated. About <laughs> what his players could do in Japan, um, you know, 
it, it's coming from Sparky, and we, we, we're considering the source here. He said that Bench could probably hit 70 or more home runs and Foster, too. Um, what do you think? Do you think how, how different was the, the competition between the two, the two countries? Uh, they, I, I would say that, that uh, we saw some players. I mean, the, the Japanese players hadn't, I don't know if any of them had come, had come over here yet to play U.S. baseball. I'm not sure just when that started, but it was, it was very rare for, you know, a Japanese player to come over here. There were some individuals who, who could play, uh, but, the, but not, the teams didn't have the depth of, you know, of, of quality players. That was the biggest difference. And the other thing is the uh, where, for the most part, the power alleys over there in most ballparks were, it, were here there 375 to 390, I would say, in most ballparks. Over there, they were more like 350. Hmm. So the home runs would have been flying with bench and bench and foster sure. i mean you know uh, there's no question that they would have had a ton of home runs over there just you know from the sides of the ballparks and on the flip side sadaharu oh who was 38 during this tour a lot of the reds uh, lauded him as a as a guy who could be a 300 hitting 25 homer guy in the u.s did you see any evidence of that oh yeah he i mean he was he was a talented hitter no question no question about that. Yeah, he was. He could play. He could play. Now the fallout from all this, Fergie, um, as we kind of touched upon at the beginning here, uh, the Reds returned from this trip in on November twenty second, and it's interesting to point out that date because uh, less than one week later, Sparky Anderson was dismissed as the Reds' manager. On this trip, did you see any hints? That this was going to happen? Were you kind of tipped off to this, or I was the, one of the most surprised people in the world when this happened. I I had never saw it coming. Had no clue whatsoever. Didn't see anything uh, during the trip that would have been any kind of uh, of, of trip. And, and to be honest, I still don't understand it today. And then two weeks after the Reds returned, Pete Rose signed with the Phillies on December 5th. So, again, as we kind of touched upon this, this was kind of the like the last hurrah of the Big Red Machine, as uh, most fans know it, as far as the grade eight goes and the skipper. Absolutely. No question about that. No question. You what? know, it started with uh, with the Perez's departure. Uh, right which uh which happened during uh during another trip <laughs> uh we were on a they, at that time there was a uh, the, uh, the the reds uh cruise there was a reds cruise mm-hmm. and the and perez was traded while we were in the caribbean on a, on a, a trip it was uh it was Rose and uh, Griffey and Bill Plummer and uh, Joe Nuxall and I and all of our wives were were on this trip. Uh, we went out of 
which is where Tony and Patuka were uh, were spent the off season at their home there. And uh, while we were on the cruise, uh, it happened, and, and we ended up back in Puerto Rico uh, in San Juan at the end of that. Uh, and uh, we had we were there. All, we got the, the cruise ship came in, you know, like at seven in the morning, and we weren't flying out till five or six in the afternoon. And a bunch of us went out to Perez's condo, uh, and it was a, it was a happy occasion and a sad occasion all all at the same time. Uh, because sure. news had come out during that during that time that he had been traded to Montreal. Uh, as far as this specific time period when the, when the team returns and, and and Sparky's gone and Pete's gone, uh, as you mentioned Perez had been had left the previous year. Bob Housen was no longer the GM. Was did it feel different for you Fergie personally as far as uh, coming to work every day? Was there a different atmosphere? Uh yeah, it was it was different definitely different uh uh, without Hauslem there, uh, Wagner was uh, uh, wanted to and did put his own print imprint on uh, pretty much everything uh, pretty quickly, and certainly the the thing with Sparky was was like a bombshell from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know whether I, I like I say I I don't understand it to this point other than it's been demonstrated over and over and over uh, with a lot of different teams that whenever there's a new general manager, he wants his own people involved. He wants his own, this guy and his own, that guy and whatever. But with the success that Sparky had had, I say, I just, I, I, I could not figure out how you could make that, that decision that fast if that was even if that was the factor involved I don't know but it happened Fergie before we leave Japan do you have any lasting memories maybe that we didn't touch upon yeah a couple uh, actually one of them one of them involved uh, Wagner we're uh, we're on a, a bullet train somewhere going somewhere and the bullet trains were uh, incredible! The, the one thing that everybody told us involved in our tour, they said that the bullet train doesn't wait for anybody. If it says it's going to arrive at a station at at nine eighteen, it'll be there at nine eighteen. And if it says on the schedule it leaves at nine twenty one, it's leaving at nine twenty one. So be ready to right at the door to get on board. And so we get on, we're taking a train to to some ballpark someplace uh, to another hotel and um, we got off uh, and uh, Wagner found out uh, remembered whatever sometime that he had left his raincoat up on a rack above the seat and the strain was going on you know to other cities whatever so he he mentions us he said you know it's not a big deal it's just a coat but he mentioned it to the tour people and we go back to the hotel, we go to the hotel and check in 
and uh, within two hours, as the coat was delivered to him in, in his room, <laughs> that uh, they had found it on the train and and uh, brought it back, and, and it was delivered to him. It was just part of the uh, the efficiency of that. And the, the other the other story, which is even better, uh, was the everything was on a very strict timetable and, and everything was very precise and we're getting ready to leave a ballpark and we're all on the buses and we don't leave and we're just sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there and you know like 10 or 15 minutes go by and finally somebody you know, Doug Beerman or somebody you know said went to see what was going on and uh, they said uh uh, we can't leave yet. There's a uh, there's one bag missing, <laughs> and uh, I said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we have we we had uh, 37 pieces to load. We unloaded off the buses, and we need to load 37 pieces back on. We <laughs> can only find 36." Well, Bernie, still so there had been so many home runs hit during batting practice that. Uh, one of those big leather ball bags was empty and he just folded it up and put it inside one of the other bags <laughs> and we weren't not going to leave until until these people found that other piece of luggage that was missing <laughs> that's outstanding now i'll fi- i'll wrap it i'll conclude here with a a, a quote from sparky and i want to see i want to get your reaction to this after he he returned from Japan, he said, I could win 20 World Series in a row, and it would never equal the experience that I had in Japan. Well, it was it was certainly a, uh, a once, what I assume would be a once-in-a-lifetime, <laughs> and it was of, the, of, its, of its nature because it was uh, – everything was uh, – Organized, everything was set up perfectly. The uh, they had these uh, outstanding trips uh, set up for uh, for the wives and the uh, non-playing personnel. Uh, they even went to a sumo training camp to, to, to see how sumo wrestlers uh, <laughs> get their size and what kind of training they they went through and things like that. And and it was just. The, the whole experience was just incredible. That's outstanding. Well, I think that's a good good point to, to break off of here. Jim, I appreciate the, the trip down memory lane, and I hope, I hope it brought back uh, fond memories for you. It sure did. It sure did. Fergie, we'll catch up with you again down the road. All right, Jamie. Okay, Good talking to you. Thanks a lot. Bye. As a lifelong Reds fan, that Japan trip has always fascinated me. With something so unique and likely would never happen in today's day and age, and it also spelled the end of the big red machine. Who would have ever guessed that Sparky Anderson would manage his last Reds game in a place called Shizuoka? So many great memories and insight from that trip, courtesy of our friend Jim Ferguson, and I'm so happy he agreed to come on the show to share with us. Next time on the Better Off Red podcast, we'll be broadcasting live from Reds Fest. If you can't join us in person, we'll just bring Reds Fest to you. Be sure to tune in. A big thanks goes out to our guest, Jim Ferguson, and to Nick Prince, who does all the heavy lifting behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. 
That's all for now. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Happy Thanksgiving and expect good news.